Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, hour one. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. In a You're Killing Me Smalls moment for my producer, I confess out of the gate, I got no idea what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I had breakfast with Herschel Walker this morning, uh, the next senator from Georgia, and uh, he in, enjoyed that a ton and uh, then got behind on show prep. I, I'm kidding to some degree. I know exactly what I'm talking about in this segment here, and it is actually the big story of the day. Thus far, the California power grid is holding, but uh, it looks bleak. It's it's not good there, y'all. It's actually a very bad situation in California. Here is the governor of California, Gavin Newsom. California and many other western states are experiencing simply unprecedented temperatures. In fact, this heat wave is on track to be both the hottest and the longest on record for this state and many parts of the West for the month of September. Californians, you've stepped up to help in a big way to keep the lights on so far. But we're heading, we're heading to the worst part of this heat wave, and the risk for outages is real, and it's immediate. They have raised their threat level for outages to level three, which is the highest level in California. Actually, uh, yesterday, a listener out in California was listening to my podcast as I was talking about the show. So he was listening uh, late yesterday, which would have been the late afternoon of California time during the height of the heat. And as he was listening to me talking about the problems in California, got the alert that they had gone uh, to level three and should expect rolling blackouts in California. Now, this is the problem. This is the future the left wants for you and me. It's not just here. It's in Europe as well. Uh, the head of the European Union, uh, von der Leyen, uh, whatever her name is, listen to this. They're going to impose power consumption curves to flatten the curve. Where have we heard about flattening the curve before? And this is what is expensive because in these peak demands, the expensive gas comes into the market. So what we have to do is flatten the curve and uh, avoid the peak demands. We will propose a mandatory target for reducing electricity use at peak hours, and we will work very closely with the member states to achieve this. Y'all, um, this is the future the left wants for us. Now, I need to review with you the actual data because there's a lot of wishful thinking out there. One of the people most prone to wishful thinking is Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm, who wants all the poor people of America to drive battery-powered cars because, in her words, she runs on sunshine. The grid's going to be ready for all this? The grid's got to be ready. We have to basically double the size of the nation's electric grid with clean energy. And she means wind and solar, but she won't say that. She's not talking about nuclear energy. She's not an advocate of nuclear energy. She's actually one of the people who opposes nuclear energy. Here's a problem. This gets back to a point I made yesterday, and, and Michael Schellenberger is the source. He's an environmental activist, but he's a reasonable environmental activist who knows uh, what's actually up. He's got an engineering background. And he points out you can't actually put enough solar panels and windmills out there to maximize your energy grid. Why? Because you then, for example, in California, given the amount that you would need, 700 times the amount of land currently available 
for solar panels in California to, to match the output they need, you would have to cover up endangered species. Are we really going to kill off tortoises and sand crabs and golden eagles to get power? Well, you think the left will allow you to do that? A buddy of mine's texting. He says, this isn't about power. It's about policy. And he's right. There are ways to meet the demands of American energy infrastructure, and I actually want to talk about those. I don't want to bore you to death this, but but you need to understand what should be done. And by explaining to you what should be done, I can show you what is not being done. We need to talk about the various issues of power, and the one thing you need to hear is baseload power. That's the phrase you never hear the left talk about, baseload power. If you hear them talk about clean energy and renewable energy, you don't hear them talking about baseload power. What is baseload power? That is the power that if everyone in California flips on their air conditioner and plugs in their electric vehicle at the same time, that's the power you can flip a switch and it begins generating power immediately. You flip, They flip their light switches, you flip that switch, the power comes on baseload power. In Texas, you will recall, When they had the ice storm in Texas and the solar panels were covered in snow and they couldn't produce electricity and the windmills were frozen, Texas has coal and nuclear power plants, but they did not have enough to meet baseload capacity for that level of cold in Texas at that time. That's one of the problems that California is having. California does not have a baseload power able to meet the demands, but California has something else as well. And this gets to the larger problem of policy. It's not about power. It's about policy. And it is a failure of the mind of the left when it comes to this. You have to upgrade the infrastructure. And the way left-wing politicians in this country and in Europe have incentivized the switch to green energy, it's to find the power companies that don't go out and build solar panels and windmills. And so what do they do? They take the money they need to upgrade the infrastructure of their lines and they apply it to putting solar panels and windmills down. Well, guess what happens? When you don't continue to replace the power lines and expand the power grid... It eventually collapses. In California, it gets overheated. It sparks. It causes wildfires. they got to shut the lines down. So they're not building the baseload power, and they're not building out the infrastructure. You actually do have to build out power infrastructure. And this is something you and I may not like as free market, small government people, but we got to understand there is a role for government here to play in fostering sound public policy for what essentially are monopolies. The power companies tend to be monopolies. Now, the power companies, well, there are these little EMCs out there. We can be against it, but you really don't. Not to the degree that you and I may think of competition. They don't really compete with them. They each have a little territorial space. And so you have a public service commission, a power agency that oversees these agencies that helps them set rates and helps manage the grids. And the problem is that too many left-wing governments, and frankly, in Texas, it was Republicans who did this because they had major Republican donors who owned a lot of land who wanted to put windmills and solar panels there at somebody else's expense and pay them rent. They convinced the the Texas energy regulators to ditch handling baseload power in the grid and go for the renewable energy. And the result is in putting in the solar panels and putting in the windmills, no one thought, hey, we got to upgrade the power lines that connect those windmills and solar panels to the customers. And hey, 
What happens if all this stuff went off? What happened if we had a night? God forbid we have a night where there's no wind. So the solar panels don't work and the windmills don't work. Where are we getting the power from? We don't have the battery storage technology capable, so we need more baseload power. And guess what? In a place like Texas, there aren't a lot of places you can build dams and get hydropower. California, there are more, but the environmentalists won't let them. And so the chickens are starting to come home to roost in this. There's video uh, that has surfaced of Tim Ryan, the Democrats' Senate nominee in Ohio. You should know Center Street has a poll out that shows him with a 10-point lead over J.D. Vance, and the media's playing this up. What you should also know is that Center Point, the uh, pack that does this poll, is a left-wing pollster who does these polls to try to game the polling averages. It's not a legitimate poll. No one treats it as a legitimate poll, and most of the polling average Companies won't even put it in because they know the polls are so bad, but it gets a media spectacle. Oh, my gosh, Tim Ryan, he's sort of the lead. He has it. J.D. Vance is going to win that race. But listen to Tim Ryan back in 2019 before he wanted to run as a moderate in Ohio. We don't have to wait till 2050. The way things are moving, you know, uh, Senator Sanders and I got into this on the floor or on the debate a little bit. And he was like banning gas cars in 2040. And in my mind, in all honesty, it's like, okay, great, whatever. But like if we're waiting for 2040 to get rid of gas vehicles, like we're doing something terribly wrong. We're waiting to 2040. Oh, it echoes Jennifer Granholm, the Secretary of Energy, who is fueled by sunshine. So California made national headlines by becoming the first state to say by 2035, we're not going to have any gas-powered vehicles that are new that are being sold. You can still drive your old ones, but you can't sell new ones. Um, You like this concept? Yeah, I do. I think uh, California really is leaning in. And of course, the federal government has a goal of, the president has announced by 2030, that half of the vehicles in the U.S., the new ones sold, would be electric. Do you think what California is doing could or should be a national model? Could be, could be. I mean, you know, I know every state is different, and you always have to respect what the states are doing. But uh, I do think that once people, I mean, California has gotten more used to electric vehicles, uh, and we have to bring down the price of electric vehicles so that everybody can access them. And this is why it's uh, great that there's a $4,000 tax credit, for example, on used electric vehicles that has just been adopted through the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, first of all, my, it always throws me off when it's only out of one one speaker, um, but that's the way it was recorded. But, y'all, there are less than 600,000 electric vehicles in California right now. There are 38 million vehicles totaled in California. And those electric vehicles are having to be taken off the power grid. Those less than 600, it's like 568,000 electric vehicles in California total. You would never know that, would you? By the way, the media seems to think that there are millions of electric vehicles in California. There aren't. There aren't. And those 568,000 vehicles had to be unplugged from the power grid to keep the lights on last night. Now, if California is not going to expand baseload power, they can't handle all of their cars converting. And by the way, that doesn't include the farm vehicles and things like that you're still going to have gas-powered vehicles. We can't decarbon our vehicles. Think about all the vehicles in America that you you don't even think of. 
It's not just your lawnmowers, which could be battery. My neighbor actually has an electric uh, lawnmower, and I'm thinking I might get one because the thing is super quiet, and it works great. I could totally go with that, and you don't have the upkeep. I, for like example, I've always had an electric leaf blower because I can plug it in, and it works. I don't have to worry about oil and stuff. I, I don't mind electric things. I don't mind battery-powered things. But what about the tractors? What about the harvesters and the combines? What about the trucks that run through the airport and collect the luggage and drag it to baggage claim? What about the large passenger vehicles? What about the airplanes? What about the helicopters? What about the ambulances that can't get low on charge or they're not going to be able to drive, so you probably want them on gas? What about the people who live out far from cities? And they need gas because the power infrastructure, I mean, hell, the cell phone infrastructure in the Rocky Mountains sucks. You really think we're going to have charging stations in the middle of nowhere? They live in a fantasy world that doesn't align with reality. And I got to tell you, as the lights go out in California and the lights go out in Europe, the Republicans have a message into this general election season The Democrats spent all of their time on an inflation bill that doesn't fight inflation. They now call it a climate bill. And what is their solution now? They want to force you into a battery-powered car that when there's a heat wave, you can't charge it because the lights will go out. There's a way for Republicans to sell this message in the general election. And by the way, if they sell it right, it ends the Green New Deal. It discredits it. And at this point, it needs to be discredited because there is a cult-like embrace of it where they can't accept the reality that this stuff in practice doesn't work the way they claim. The lights are going out today in California, and you can't plug in your electric vehicle. And their solution is that all of you in California must be forced into electric vehicles that you don't have enough power to charge. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let me take this phone call. Bob, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. How are you? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you? I'm good. The comment that I wanted to make on this, that you're talking about battery-operated cars, is I I have nothing against them in town. I mean, I think they're a great little commuter in, in, in your area and around town. But what if you have family members that live out of town? Like, I live in Cumming, and my mom lives in West Palm Beach, and I'd like to go down and see her regularly. Um, I have to stop numerous times to be able to charge on the way down. My brother loves Tesla, and I told him, I'll race you. You get your (laughs) Tesla here in Atlanta. Uh I said, you get your Tesla here in Atlanta, charge it up full, and I'll take a Model A Ford, and we neither one of us exceed the speed limit, and I'll beat you there by at least two hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, and, you know, Tesla I mean, has the, the high-performance, high, uh, supercharged stations, and still, you got to wait 15, 20, 30 minutes to, to get them back up to full. Exactly, where it takes me three minutes to fill a Model A Ford up with gas. Yeah, oh, okay, so, Bob, you're, you're saying this. I appreciate the comment. I got I to gotta tell on myself. Um So I was on a trip with a family recently. Now, I joke all the time that my wife thinks the E on the the fuel gauge of the car stands for enough. And so we're, we're, we're in Florida. We're driving back. And I didn't get gas on the way out of town. 
I, I mean, I had more than half a tank. I thought I'm going to go through uh, the, the Daytona car race was coming up. Traffic was bad. I'll get on I-10. I'll stop. I'll get gas on I-10. I got on I-10 at a Jacksonville, and it said I had 70 miles before I was at a gas. And I-10 or uh, I-75 was coming up in like 30 miles. Well, then my car all of a sudden tells me thereafter that I've got 30 miles left until I'm out of gas. And next thing I know, it's telling me I'm almost out of gas. And it's late. And a massive storm is building. The lightning, the thunder, the winds are picking up. And I finally get to a gas station. And I, I mean, my car is starting, like the engine is making that sound like I'm huffing the fumes. Buddy, I need gas. And I get off. And I turn to the right. And the gas station is closed. And so I have to turn around and go to the left. And there are three gas stations. Two of the three of them are closed. It's like 11 o'clock at night. And the rain is coming. So I pull into a shell station. My car has a 22-gallon tank. I put in 22.014 gallons of gas. <laughs> I mean, I was I was completely out of gas in my wife. I was like, that's 22 gallon. I put in 0. 0.014 extra. She's like, the fuel line, dear. The fuel. <laughs> but we made it, and it started raining. It took me all of 10 minutes, and I got back on the interstate before the flood came. And um, had I not paid attention uh, and been in a Tesla, I would have been there during the hail. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Friends, I would like your undivided attention so that we may laugh at the schadenfreude together. Is it schadenfreude or schadenfreude? You know what I mean. Laugh at the misery of others. It's what we need to do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You can call if you want, 877-973-7425, but just, just don't yet. Let, let's, let's enjoy this. Let's savor this moment together. The New York Times has a big, big, big story today. Turns out Stacey Abrams... Even Democrats are admitting now is losing Georgia. Democrats have started sounding distress signals. Do you know why Stacey Abrams is losing in Georgia? Do you know why Stacey Abrams is losing? No, listen, I can hear you, Frank and Alpharetta. I can hear you right now say, ah, it's because she's a too liberal for Georgia. Listen. Sarah in Atlanta, I can hear you say it's all because she's only running an abortion. I can hear you say that. I, I can hear all of you. I know my audience. I know your minds. And you are wrong, all of you. I know you think it's because she's polarizing. I know you think it's because she's too far left. 
I know you think it's because she's running against a popular incumbent governor who saved Georgia's economy. You would all be wrong. Why is Stacey Abrams losing Georgia? Ms. Abrams' allies said a comparison between her and Senator Raphael Warnock, who appears to be winning, but he's not, overlooked stark differences. You see, Ms. Abrams is a black woman contending with sexist stereotypes. That's it. Stacey Abrams is losing because of sexism. Twice in this story. That's why she's losing. Some of Ms. Abrams' supporters say her struggles are more rooted in sexism than strategic missteps. The picture of leadership we have, Stacy is like the opposite, said Steve Phillips, an early Abrams supporter and prominent progressive Democratic donor who attributed her polling deficiencies to, quote, unquote, just sexism. Just sexism. Now, I don't know who this Steve Phillips is. I, I, I don't know. I have no idea who this Steve Phillips is. I assume he's a, a rich person in Atlanta. I don't know. I just don't know. But what I know is he's an idiot. I, 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 he's, he's clearly an idiot. I, I, I hate to say that. I, I hate to be that way. But I'm sorry. If you believe that Stacey Abrams' problems are rooted in sexism, you, my friend, are dumb. You may be a very successful person with enough money to fuel Stacey Abrams' campaign, but you're dumb. He went on to say Ms. Abrams' identity as a black woman is, quote, part of the depth of the enthusiasm for her. But it also explains the depth of the resistance. That's right. It's racism and sexism, my friends. It's racism and sexism. That's the problem. So the woman who came close in 2018 isn't coming anywhere near close now. And it's all racism and sexism that didn't exist four years ago, really. Uh, how about this? Let me try something else for you. In the real world, Stacey Abrams' problems are because she started taking herself too seriously. She believed the press. She went too far left, and the Republicans were able to vilify her accurately based on her own words and deeds. Stacey Abrams took her role too seriously as some sort of great liberator for voters in Georgia, and she alienated people. She burned bridges with people. She cost minority voters money in encouraging a boycott of Major League Baseball from Georgia. And I got to tell you, when you claim it's racism and sexism that's cost Stacey Abrams a victory, which, by the way, is still a couple of months away, you're losing, and you're no, you know you're losing 
you're having to fall back on on the tropes. You're not falling back on on what's really going on here. What's interesting is Raphael Warnock not only is outperforming her, but the buzz down in Georgia is that Warnock sees himself as the future of the party and Abrams as the past. Oh, I've gotten that from Democratic friends of mine in the state legislature in Georgia. They, even the New York Times notes a lot of these people don't want to talk publicly, but privately they suggest this, that Warnock is transcendent. I mean, they're starting to talk about Warnock for 2024 for president in a way they used to talk about Stacey Abrams. If I were Stacey Abrams, I would need to recognize something. It's too late to fix this. I'm a little bit kind of frustrated that Brian Kemp hasn't done a Ron DeSantis-style ad. Brian Kemp, I played the Ron DeSantis ad yesterday where it's all these people thanking Brian De, uh, Ron DeSantis for opening schools, letting people go back to work. Or Brian Kemp should own that ad. That That's what he did, too. He did it before DeSantis in, in some aspects. And that should be his message, but people already know it in Georgia. And they know that Abrams was opposed every step of the way. Abrams second-guessed everything he did. She tried to politicize everything. She tried to politicize the tragic deaths of people from COVID and make it a political issue against Kemp, and it didn't work well. The problem here is not that Abrams is black or a woman. It's that in 2018, she came across as a sincere partisan progressive who really believes she could make better Georgia, and in 2022 comes across as a power-hungry leftist who will say and do anything to get elected. That's the problem. I interviewed Stacey Abrams in 2018. She's a very nice person, very affable, able to laugh at her own jokes, able to laugh at herself. She can't do that anymore. She believes her own press now. She takes herself seriously. She takes herself too seriously. And in the process, Brian Kemp, laid back guy. I'll never forget, I took Brian Kemp to a steakhouse one time, fancy steakhouse, and he wanted to order a Bud Light. They didn't have it on the menu, and he was highly offended they wouldn't have a Bud Light on a menu at a fancy steakhouse. And there's a contrast between them. He comes across as an affable, real, likable, normal human being, and she now comes across as someone who believes herself to be some transcendent personality, and she's not. She's just Stacey Abrams. She's tried too hard. And it rubbed voters the wrong way. And she embraced herself as a leader, and she's not. You know, they call her, the Democrats down in Georgia, call her Leader Abrams. Why? Because she was the minority leader of the state house for a couple of years. Highest office Stacey Abrams ever won was a state house seat in Georgia, and you would think she'd run for and won president of the United States. I'm sorry, president of New Earth. And the Democrats who poured all of their hopes and dreams and energy into Abrams are about to be disappointed. And that gets me to Raphael Warnock, and that gets me to the state of play in Pennsylvania as well, because I continue to believe that Herschel Walker wins in Georgia. 
I will I will say it again. I, I don't know that Herschel Walker will actually I do know. I, I don't think he was the strongest candidate, but he's the candidate. And I think Herschel Walker plays well with a lot of voters in Georgia. He's got to do something to deal with these attacks that Warnock has had. They've been deeply effective attacks. I, I get these even at church. I get them at my kids' school for women. Did, did Herschel Walker really hold a gun to his ex-wife's head? Yes. And you know the reason you know that? Because his ex-wife and him sat down to do an interview on mental health. I actually had breakfast with Herschel Walker this morning, and I told him, here's what I think you need to do. I think you need to point out to people that Raphael Warnock, who claims to be a reverend and a minister of Jesus Christ, wants to define Herschel Walker by the worst sins of his darkest days, just as he wants to define America by the worst sins of its darkest days. And he doesn't believe in redemption because if he believed in redemption, Raphael Warnock could not profit. And Raphael Warnock has made his name and made his mark by being a grievance monger. You can't have redemption, second chances, and forgiveness when you make your money off of fear mongering over racism like Raphael Warnock. Raphael Warnock does not want to improve America because it precludes him from making a buck. Herschel Walker held a gun to his ex-wife's head, threatened to kill her. He was struggling with mental health issues. We know this story because he wrote a book about it and he sat for an interview with his ex-wife. And Warnock's team cropped Herschel Walker out of it. You'd never know he participated in the interview sitting right next to her. And they did it to raise awareness about mental health. Think of the discouragement. Raphael Warnock, a minister, a reverend, Think of how discouraging it must be to people to have a reverend attacking someone who was open about his mental health struggles and how he overcame them and how Raphael Warnock would preclude someone like that from redemption in order to stay elected. Raphael Warnock would punish Herschel Walker for being an honest person and admitting what happened and taking ownership of what happened and repenting of what happened and getting help for what happened. Raphael Warnock claims to be a minister of God and refuses to accept Herschel Walker's story of repentance and forgiveness and transcending his mental health disorder. He wants to define Warnock does, wants to define Walker by his worst moment in life, one we only know about because Walker was open and honest about it. Warnock doesn't believe in redemption. Doesn't sound like he believes in the resurrection either. What's so interesting here is that the Democrats who are attacking Herschel Walker want to give a pass to Fetterman in Pennsylvania who finally members of the media are even starting to note, it's not good that this guy won't debate. It's not good that this guy won't show up in crowds. Walker is showing up in crowds. Walker is showing up at gatherings. Walker is now doing lots of events. Fetterman won't show up. He's running in the basement. Uh, the media would have you believe that that uh, Herschel Walker is running a basement campaign like, like Joe Biden. And he did in the primary. Frankly, he wasn't in a lot of places. He didn't have to be. He was going to win. But now he's out and about. He's being seen. He's going to big events. Fetterman in Pennsylvania is staying in the basement, unseen, unguarded, doing limited interviews with only friendly audiences. He won't debate. He won't get on stage. Warnock and Walker are going to debate in Georgia. The media narratives haven't shifted. I think Walker wins in Georgia. And I'm not precluding Oz. I think Oz is a weaker candidate in Pennsylvania. But the weakest candidate of all 
turns out to be Stacey Abrams, who the media built up and the Democrats built up as some sort of new messiah for the South, some champion of voting rights, some transcendent politician. And Stacey Abrams made the biggest, most fatal mistake any politician can ever make. She believed her own press and will now lose an election because she believed she was more than she was and the voters saw through it. The voters are also seen through the economy. By the way, the Fed looks like they're going to raise interest rates another three quarters of a percent. So that's going to have an impact on the economy. And if you're worried about your retirement savings, you may want to think about using precious metals, particularly if you've got $50,000 set aside for retirement or more. You don't have a lot of options, but you can protect your money with physical gold and silver. Call Gold Co. 855-904-5933. You'll get a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. Call my friends at Goldco. Find out how you qualify for their special offer. Goldco's helped thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation and stock market crashes. They might be able to help you. 855-904-5933. Or you can just text my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Text it to 33777. Text Eric to 33777. And I will text you back Goldco's number. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. I want to go to Marsha's phone call. Marsha, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well here, Eric. How are you? Great. What's going on? Well, I was just thinking, if all these cars are going to electric, and I say if with a big if, like it's never going to be possible, then the problems with the cost of gas for the vehicles like the farmers and the truckers and the military that are still going to need gas is the price is going to go up exponentially. Yes. Which means if we think we've got a problem now with the cost of goods and services, we are, it's going to be unachievable. Right. I mean, this is something that, that they do miss. There is a supply demand issue here. That as you, uh, I mean, we're not going to be able to transition tanks to batteries. I know NATO says we are, but we're not. The reality of war is we're not going to Oh, gonna Camilla do that. said we were. Oh, yeah, yeah, Camilla really. Camilla said we were. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and, and, you know. If, the if, batteries and backpacks. Yep. As my wife says, if frogs had wings, they wouldn't hit their butts when they jumped. Um, and and it's, <laughs> it's the same with, with Kamala and all this nonsense that, I mean, we're, we're not farmer combines. They're not going to be electric. The, the reality here is we're always going to, until we transition to something new, maybe it's hydrogen. Hydrogen seems to make a lot of sense. Red, most abundant element in the universe. Uh, but we're not even contemplating infrastructure for that. And to some degree, I do think that so much of government is moving so far in that way that we're missing out on other opportunities for uh, transitions, for the ability to transition technology. We're so focused on batteries and lithium ion that uh, what about the hydrogen infrastructure? that has been tried. It could be developed further. Everybody thinks about, oh, the Hindenburg. But uh, we have different ways with hydrogen fuel cells now that uh, don't mean when your car is in a fender bender, it blows up on you. 
and we're not thinking about that. It'd be far more efficient than a battery-powered combine for a farmer. You could run it longer in the field. And, I mean, all of the costs go up. To some degree, the good times are over because the left insists they must be. You have to remember when the whole world was on lockdown for COVID, environmentalists celebrated. And every time we have a recession, environmentalists trot out studies about how the economic decline has been good for the environment. They want an economic slowdown globally to save the planet and fight global warming. It's part of their plan and part of their design. You transition us all to vehicles that we can't use whenever we want. It slows down the economy. It drives up prices. It causes problems. It's all readily foreseeable, and they deny it and deny it and deny it, just like they have did on wanting boys' and girls' bathrooms. Until the moment they did, they denied it was happening. Uh, this is their state of play. It's what they do. Deny it until it happens and then attack you for being hateful, a bigot, or, or a mouth breather or something. It's it's ridiculous, but this is what they do. Now, when we come back, let us transition to the Mar-a-Lago leaks. There's a relevant point that must be made about the story that you're missing.